Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and tell. What is prayer? Stale tradition? Ritual? A good luck charm? Part of some religious checklist done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want or at least avoid the lightning bolt prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused but at its essence prayer is simply talking to god the god who spoke the universe into creation who gives us life and breath who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him. In the vastness of all that exists, he actually cares about us, personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God? Amen. Let me begin by saying that I am Pastor Chris, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of San Antonio, and typically I'm across the street and Pastor Danny is preaching over here, but one of the things that we love to do is every couple of months, Pastor Danny goes across the street and I come over across this to 4th Street um, and we get to switch places as we preach. And it's always a great joy for us, so, so thanks for, for having me. And I'm, I'm grateful we get to come to this text um, together today in John 17. Now, before we do, there's, there's a few Life Together things we want to make sure that you're aware of. So one of those, let me make a plug for Pastor Danny first. He and Anna do a wonderful job in our marriage ministry. This church has a vibrant marriage ministry that has just been guided by the Lord. And so we're grateful for that. And, and one of those things that's coming is Super Saturday, July 29, um, and Reengage. So there's a couple of different events. So we have a Super Saturday, which is a one-day event um, for folks uh, that are engaged or going towards marriage. Um, and that's, that's a wonderful thing, July 29th, from our marriage ministry. And then we also have Reengage that's coming in the fall. And I want you to notice on Reengage, the, the hope and the prayer is that every couple in our church go through Reengage by 2027. So we've got about four years, three, a little over three years there. So pray with um, the Panthers in that way and see how you can be a part of Marriage Strong um, and this re-engage commitment. We're looking forward to that. Also, I want you to be aware of main events. So uh, Friday, August 4, is the, the day that we have set aside for, for training um, our teachers, our directors, and, and it's a wonderful time. Um, and that night from 6 to 9, if, if you're a teacher in our church, if you're a leader, if you're a director, we, we do expect you to be there and be a part of this. This is one of the primary ways that we seek to encourage and build up our teachers and directors, so we we'll hope you'll come and be a part of that with us. I um, also want you to be aware, Pastor's Lunch Bunch. Now, this is a unique bunch. This is, for those that are retired, uh, in the fall, we'll have um, 
Tuesdays where we'll have lunch together. So August 8th is the first pastor's lunch bunch. And I want to make a special note, Scott and Christy um, will be our guests that day, and I'm going to interview them about their love for one another and how that has just blossomed in their marriage, and so it's going to be a wonderful time. Um, we'll hope you'll come and, and, and be there if you can. Now, uh, lastly, Life Together-wise, I hope you have seen this. We have some amazingly talented people at our church. So one of the things that is produced here is called the Legacy Publication. This is a magazine um, just about life in the church and history of the church, and there's all kinds of stories about us and who we are that you won't find anywhere else. And so we just a new edition was printed that you're going to want to see and learn more about who we are and our history. So make sure you, you pick up one of those as well. Now, let me say to those of you who are new to the First Baptist Church of San Antonio, we're grateful that you're here and grateful that you've come to worship with us. Um, and we would love to get to know you. And there's a couple ways that we do that. One, one of these is in the cards that look like this. You, you can find them throughout the church and, or in the, usually in the pew back or seat back in front of you. You can take one of these and, and turn them in the offering and we'll get to know you that way. Or you can, you can get on your vice, you can go to our website and at the, at the top of our website, there's a connect here button. And at that button, you can fill out a similar online card and we'll get to know you that way. And then just last thing, um, in a similar way, as worship, and in this time of worship, we will give. And we just want to make sure that you have the opportunity to do that and take time to do that. And so we have um, various places around the room where you can, you can give, and then there's also a way online. If you'd like to give that way, you can do that as well. All right, let's get to our text for today. And I want us to stand and read our text aloud together that you'll see on the screens there. So look with me at John 17, 20 through 26. This then is the text for today. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given to me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made known to them, and will make it known, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. May God bless the reading of his word. The Nile River has captivated humanity for millennia. You see, this, 
long flowing river has sustained life in East Africa as long as anybody can remember. Even back to the book of Genesis, we find the Nile there. And the the numbers around the Nile River are mesmerizing. The longest river in the world, 4,160 miles long. It's a river that flows through 11 different nations. This is a river that, that winds its way to Egypt And in Egypt, some 95% of Egypt's population lives within a few miles of the Nile River. It's also said that as they examined the flow of the water in the Nile River, that something like 20% of the available fresh water in the world is found in the Nile River. And and as the river cuts through the desert, it forms this huge oasis that that lines its banks and and it brings life like that isn't known elsewhere. Beyond the green, the boundaries of the river, you find the desert. Now, this has led many go and to search for where the Nile begins. And to this day, there are different ones who say they know where the Nile begins, but but there's this great scholarly debate, and the scientists look at each other and say, you don't know what you're talking about, and you don't know where it begins, and you don't know where it begins, and you don't know where it begins. It, it, It is incomprehensibly difficult to definitively prove the furthest point of the Nile where it begins. It's when, you, when, you, when you study its lasting influence on humanity and how it, it's sustained this life for thousands of years, you want to know where it began. And, and you would think that you could start at the mouth and make your way upstream and find the place where the river no longer flows. Though it's 4,000 miles, you think you would be able to find the end. But that trek has been far too elusive. Now, the Nile is a beautiful representation of what the kingdom of God is like. So as we, we look through the scripture, there is a river like this. There is a river that flows out of heaven through the book of Revelation in Revelation 22 and into Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47, that describes this kind of scene. It's it's this vision of a heavenly river that brings life to everything it touches. And and this grand life-giving river that flows from heaven to revelation to Ezekiel. Something Jesus wants you to know. In fact, I want us to start with the prophet Ezekiel and how Ezekiel describes this river. Ezekiel tells us that that as he saw the mouth of the river, 
it was unfathomable. That in the midst of a dry and thirsty land, there was an oasis. That there was life and life in abundance. There was, there was life to be found that was unlike anything else on this earth. That everywhere this heavenly river touched, it flourished. He says, when, when, you, when you come to the place where the river meets the sea, there were fruit trees everywhere. And miraculously, these trees had unlimited fruit and their leaves never turned brown. And so if you would, turn around with Ezekiel and begin to walk upstream, you see something remarkable. He said he saw things that were unexplainable. as he walked upstream to find the beginning of this river he saw off to the side a marsh a marshland that provided salt for preservation a marshland of a fresh river that provided salt that humanity needed but then he kept and, and if you keep going upstream with Ezekiel he says he saw something that he never imagined could be true. That as he walked upstream from this heavenly river, there he saw what he knew to be the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, hence the name, is, has this toxic mixture of minerals and salt so that it kills life that tries to live inside the Dead Sea. That's why we call it the Dead Sea. And he said, when this river... The river of heaven flowed into the Dead Sea. It was transformed into life. That which was dead was now living. The place where everything had turned into a barren wasteland is now producing fresh, fresh water filled with fish. He said before, there was no fish in the Dead Sea. But when this river of heaven flowed through, there was more fish than any fisherman had ever seen. So much so that the fishermen don't even have to try to fish anymore. If we keep walking with Ezekiel, so he walks upstream, he, he goes past the marshland, he goes past the revived Dead Sea, and, and, if, and if you keep walking upstream with Ezekiel, the further you walk upstream, the river keeps getting smaller and smaller. But, but not because it's becoming ineffectual, it's just the opposite. The, the stream is narrower because you are nearing its origin. Though Dr. Livingston could not find the origin of the Nile, Prophet Ezekiel and John in Revelation are, are about to witness the beginning of this heavenly stream. You see, if you walk backwards with Ezekiel upstream, Ezekiel keeps moving towards the beginning. And in Ezekiel 47.5, he says, the river is so deep, no one is able to cross it. But then it gets narrower in verse four. He says the water is, is about waist deep and then it's knee deep. In verse three, 
The water is ankle deep. In, in verse two, the, the water is, is just a trickle. The, the source of, the, of this life-giving river is about to be revealed. And, and, and both Ezekiel look up, and, and John in Revelation, they, they look and they find a single drop of water at the throne room of God. See, it's this water that, that flows from God that is the source of all life, both now and forevermore. And in that same way, this, this life-giving stream that flows from God's throne brings everything that is good and holy and perfect in this life. You see, anything good that you know and anything good you see in anyone else is always traced back to this wellspring of God. There, there is no goodness, there is no holiness, there is no love, there is no hope that does not come from this wellspring in the throne room of God. Now, as we come to John 17, and what Jesus prays for us in John 17, I want you to notice the three things in particular that Jesus is praying for for us together as a church where he's praying over us a spirit of unity. He's, he's praying over us a heavenly glory. He, he's praying over us the love that was found at the cross. And, and Jesus, Jesus prays his heavenly father that you would experience these things together as a body of believers. And, and I want you to notice that the, the reason why Jesus prays to his God in heaven, his heavenly father, for these things for you, because, because Jesus knew that, that these things like unity, that these things like glory, these things like love, they only come from the father. There, there, there is nowhere else that you will find those things. And he says, Father, flood the church with these good and perfect things. See, these things are of that life-giving stream that flows out of heaven. See, when you think about the, the first one, when, when, when Jesus prays for unity, he says, I want, I want the body of believers to be one. This is, this is only of heaven. See, just, just about everywhere that you look, you will find disunity. You really don't even have to look. Disunity just shows up everywhere in this world. You see, bitter people breaking up. Words spoken so hot, they scold you. you know, it's practically constant on the internet. But you also, you'll hear it in office spaces. Sometimes you even hear it in your own home. Disunity is, is of this dry and dusty world. And, and it, it, it seems to just find its way in, in, in all that we're doing. Disunity is drought. You know, I think I think most of us try to ignore the, the divisions and the divisive people that's in our life. We'd just rather not deal with it. But but still they just keep showing up. 
We, we think about how connected our world is today. Our world is connected as ever. But this quick communication has done as much to divide us as it has to bring us together. Our flesh uses that opportunity to wedge people apart. And, and, and what our flesh does, it, that instead of finding what links us together, our flesh finds foes. And loves to fight. In our text this week, when, when Jesus is praying for us, and Jesus is praying over the church, he says, Father, let unity flow. Because he knew that disunity would plague this earth and plague this church and could be found everywhere. But unity only from the throne room of God. Nothing that Jesus prays over us here in this text is for glory. And, and this glory, it, it is a bit confusing, even as Jesus uses the word glory in this text, because he seems to use it in a couple of different ways in this text. And in that way, we understand glory in various different ways. And I think part of the confusion comes from the fact that we think of the glory of God, and one of the things that we first think of is kind of that Shekinah glory, or this this kind of radiant nature, the, 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 the visible presence of God that we find in the Old Testament, like, like Moses' face shining or, or in the burning bush um, or the, the fire that, that goes with Israel, that, that in e- these things, these are the things that we think of in this, this visible presence of God. And that, that's, that's true, and that's one way to think of glory. But, but there's another way in the Old Testament to think of glory, and, and I want us to consider that for a moment. So an, another way to think of glory is, is something that has extreme weight that's, that's as heavy as you can get. And, and, and when it's talking about weight, it, it's linking directly weight with value. So think of something like gold. The, the, the heavier it is, the more value it has. And we're talking about the glory of God. It, it's likening God to that which is valuable and eternal, right? Which is, which is in direct contrast to this world. When, when we think about this world and this dry and thirsty land, it is brittle, it is cheap, and it's breakable. And, and what this world produces is brittle, cheap, breakable. What you, what you gather in and of this world is brittle, cheap, breakable. God, though, is the opposite. God is, is, is who is lasting. God is, is eternal. God is unshakable, unmovable. God is the center and the heaviest. And, and so when, when we recognize who God is, he is the one that's enduring and precious. See, and, and part of Jesus' prayer here is that you would know God in this way that you would know God as, as the enduring one and the holy one. And that we would move away from the cheap Happy Meal toys that we try to find hope in in this world. Those things that, that break before you're finished eating. You see, most of what this world praises is, is temporary and breakable. But when you think about your days, 
And, and when they're filled with, with things that don't last, when they're filled with meaningless promises and stuff that needs to be fixed, no, no, no God is glorious. In God's glory, we can know eternity. Things that, that are permanent and supersede anything on this earth. It, it, Jesus is praying that you, you would know God in this way. And, and that when you, when you know this glory of God and, and, and God in, in all of his glorious ways, that it would transform you. That, that as you grab a hold of, of that which is eternal and leave behind those, those broken and weak things of this earth, that what will happen is, is that's going to transform you. And, and you're no longer going to seek after those kinds of cheap things, but you'll begin to seek after who God is. And, and when you do, it, it turns into this obedience that is glorifying to him. Jesus talks about this earlier in chapter 17 where he talks about the glory of God is in his own obedience. That as Jesus went to the cross and obeyed his father, it brought tremendous glory to his father. And in that act of obedience, he was glorifying God and God in turn glorified him and lifted him up in the ascension. He's saying, I pray that you would know this glory. I pray that you would know the glory of the eternal nature of God, the glory of obedience and the glory of ascension into heaven that you would see it now and know it forevermore. That, that's what Jesus is, is praying over you this morning. Now, in a, in a similar way, Jesus prays that you would know God's love. And, and I want you to hear this in, in, in the same pathway as he talked about glory. Because he says, I want you to, to know God's love, which is in direct contrast to the love of this world, that this dry land produces a cheap love that, that, is, that is brittle, and it fades. And, and he says, leave that, love of the world behind and know this eternal love of God. You see, the, the world uses the term love all the time, but, but it has no sense of what scripture means when the scripture talks about love. When, when you hear love in the world, love in the world is described and defined as cheap as possible. It's demeaning, it, and it means something usually along the lines of, if you love me, you will indulge my every whim. Rarely do, do people discuss love beyond some kind of self-indulgent promiscuity that enables troublesome behavior. But, but that isn't love. That's the opposite of love. The, the world delights in your downfall, and you see it in that definition of love. Jesus prays, though, that you would know love as God defines love. And, and he says, look directly at the cross, because this is how God defines love, that he would, Jesus Christ would lay down his life for you, that while you were an enemy, while you could care less about God, when you were as distant from God as possible, when you were at your weakest, Jesus Christ loved you enough to go to the cross so that you might be saved and brought out of that pain. That, that when you despised God, he still cared enough about you 
to offer you a way out so that God would love you in the way of the cross and that Jesus would love you in obedience to the cross. And what, Je- what Jesus prays here is that you would know that kind of love. That as he came to, to die for you, to, to lay down his life so that you might be saved, he said, I, you need to know this transformative love. And it doesn't look like that dry and thirsty land out there. This is living water to bring you life. So these three things that we, we hear in Jesus' prayer, the, the unity, the, the glory, the love, their only source is the throne of God. You're not gonna find them anywhere else. You're not gonna produce them in yourself. So wherever you find these holy things on this earth, they're but tributaries flowing from that heavenly river. You see, countless explorers over thousands of years have tried to reach the source of the Nile. They they knew that life-giving water came from somewhere else. It did not originate in Egypt. And so they walked upstream to find the source. Would you think the same way about unity, about glory, about love? Those, Those kinds of things, they do not originate on this earth. And and Jesus' prayer over you is a call to walk upstream and find their source. Jesus Jesus is is praying for, as Jesus is praying over you, that that you would walk upstream and, and find the source of these things. You know, it's interesting that that as he prays this. And as he prays these things over you, the unity, the glory, the love, this is not a a self-promoting endeavor. This is for exploration. This is for witness. You see, this, this prayer wasn't meant to be an individual prayer and wasn't for you alone. In, in one way, that's, that's lived out in the church. But, but, but Jesus, multiple places here, points to our witness. And, 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 and he says these things, the, the unity in particular, and, and, and the glory and, and the love, that when, when people see these things and recognize that it's something different from the world, you be their guide and you walk upstream with them. Because what Jesus is is saying in this prayer is that as this heavenly river flows from heaven to Revelation to Ezekiel to, to San Antonio, and it brings bright green to its river brinks. He says there are people in this dry and thirsty world with their feet caught in the burning sand who will, at some point in their life, will will turn and look at that river and are going to wonder where it came from. They're going to see unity in the church. They're going to see the glory of God in your life. They're going to see the love of the cross of Christ at your hand. And they're going to wonder where it came from. And, And Jesus says, you grab them. 
and you walk upstream with them and you take them to the beginning. You know, it'd be easy for us if, if, if somebody outside looked in and saw unity and saw glory and, and, and saw love, it would be easy for us to say that we love you because we're good people. In fact, people say that. That isn't true. We aren't good people. The source of that love, the source of that goodness comes from somewhere else. It doesn't come from me. It comes from my heavenly father. And Jesus says when, when people are gonna notice this, as the spirit works in your life and as the spirit transforms you in unity and love and glory, people are gonna notice and you take them by the hand and you walk upstream. You show them where it began in the throne room of God. These are the headwaters of heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that we would know this kind of unity. Lord, we, we pray that we would know this kind of glory. Lord, we, we pray that we would know this kind of love. Lord, would you come and make it so among us? May you flow from heaven to bring life to this place. Though we were dead, Revive us, Father. Give us new life together. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.